to the Three at the Back podcast. I'm Tom Warville, your host for this episode. As a quick intro, I'm part of the data science team with OptiPro. Each episode of this podcast is going to have three guests and a set theme that the guests will discuss. At the time of recording, the Premier League season is just about to kick off, with Leicester due to play Hull on Saturday. The Championship started last weekend, so we're only just getting going in the 16-17 season on the pitch. But what about off the field? Well, teams have been hard at work using the last couple of months to help them prepare tactically and get the right personnel in for the new season. This episode of Three at the Back looks at the work of analysts during pre-season and discusses how summer transfers can integrate into new sides, focusing on Adrissa Gay's move to Everton. I'm joined by Ben McCreel, Head of OctoPro, and Sam Gregory, a fellow data scientist. Let's meet them. Oh, hi guys. Doing good, Sam. Good to be here. Yeah, so a bit more about this topic. So, um, pre-season, obviously, summer transfer window really, really important for a host, whole host of reasons. And we're going to sort of look mainly at the analysis and recruitment perspective uh, of those two things. So, sort of the goal of this podcast, this episode, is to get a bit of a, a better understanding about uh, how important these things are, what clubs should be doing during these periods, uh, and yeah, maybe what clubs have done in the past that they potentially should sort of maybe look to change the uh, sort of processes of in the future. After that, we're going to do a brief season preview of Everton, uh, looking at one of their signings in, in uh, particular and seeing what Ronald Koeman's going to bring to the table. So yeah, let's kick off with our main section. We're going to talk about pre-season to start with. So Ben, I'll hand over to you. If you want to give me a bit of a bit of your background. Yeah, I mean, I've, I worked as an academy analyst and a first-team analyst. Um, at uh, a couple of clubs in the Premier League uh, and then spent some time as a recruitment analyst and as a scout uh, after that. So, you know, the sort of first part of my analysis career was spent as a, as a first team and academy analyst, um, mainly working sort of opposition analysis uh, mainly. So I think, you know, the, the pre-season period um, is always a bit of a misnomer, I think, for me because the sort of seasons tend to merge together when you work in a club, particularly for the analysts. Um, you know, at the end of the season, there's a kind of review of what's happened, um, but generally everybody sort of shoots off on holiday. Um, but I think the analysts get a bit of time, um, but actually there's, there's quite a lot of preparation work that goes into preparing for the season, particularly before the players come back. If you imagine that the majority of clubs you know, we're finishing around the sort of third week of May, that kind of time. Um, and then players come back 1st of July, pretty much. Um, so you have a sort of small six-week period uh, where you can grab a bit of holiday and then you need to start preparing before the players come back. Um, so there's other challenges involved as well in that, you know, I had one season at Fulham where we played our first competitive game in the Europa League qualifiers uh, in the second week of June. So we essentially had about a week off, if that, um, before we needed to start preparing for uh, for that qualifying round. Uh, and as anybody who spends any of their time watching the Europa League qualifiers, you see some teams that you've never heard of before. Uh, we played a team for the Faroe Islands. So sourcing the video for that to prepare for the opposition is a pretty interesting task, um, especially as you first need to find out where the Faroe Islands is. Um, but yeah, so the, there's inherent challenges during the pre-season for an analyst. Um, you know, 
and also obviously something that we will talk about is is the effect that a change of manager can have on that as well. Um, but in general, you know, the the first the process for a, a first team analyst, first team analysis group um, in preparing for preseason is things like setting up templates for your opposition scouting, for your uh, feedback to the coaches pre and post match, um, making any changes that you want. You know, particularly. Uh, I was in some ways fortunate not to be an analyst in the championship where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, but I certainly was involved in the analysis process, uh, particularly at Reading, um, with that. And, and that's a massive challenge. You don't get time during the season to make significant changes to things like the way you present data to a coach or the way you present your scouting information. You're playing Saturday, Tuesday, you've got cup games as well, um, you're travelling a lot. There's no time to sit and rethink your presentation of data or anything like that. So, so that's a massive challenge. So I'm curious, when you're starting going into the season, you talk about opposition analysis. Obviously, you have these preseason games where lots of different teams get played, there's lots of different changes, and often there's a new manager coming in trying new things. How do you prepare for the first few teams you're playing when all you have is last season, which could be completely different, yeah. and the set preseason games? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the, the focus on opposition analysis all of the clubs that I worked at, and certainly the ones that I've seen, and you know, since moving away from the clubs and into this role, is that managers have very different views on the the importance of opposition analysis. So, mo yeah, pretty much every manager obviously is interested in whether what a team does, what how a team lines up, what the shape is, those kind of things. But there are a group of managers, certainly a few that I've worked with, who want to focus primarily on us. This is how we play, this is our philosophy, this is our strategy, this is what we do. And yes, there are certain things about the opposition that we need to know, but we have a game plan, we have a very similar game plan week to week, and this is based on the players that we have and, and the strategy that the coaching staff believe in. Um, so, at any point in the season, whether it's the beginning or, or, or you know any other point during the, during the year, different managers will place different emphasis on that kind of preparation. I worked under a couple of managers where we did, you know, really extensive opposition analysis, and we would change the way we played and the tactics that we employed based on who we were playing. Which I guess you know, from from maybe from the outside, I don't know. Maybe the perception is that, that every manager does that and that every team adapts to, to who they're playing against, but actually that isn't really the case. Um, so, but in terms of if you are doing a full opposition analysis on the teams you're going to play in the first three weeks, um, so I mean, in terms of an opposition analysis process, I think the majority of clubs will, will look at the last three or four games of every team. Um, so certainly the process I was involved in, we would send scouts to the last three games of the opposition that we were playing. Um, and we would then get scout reports on those three games. Uh, as an analyst, we'd then collate that information and watch those three games back on video, maybe add another one in. So to say, if, you know, if we're playing a team away and um, the last two games they've played have been away themselves, so two out of the three games they've played that we've watched them play, they were away. Then really, only the home game was relevant. 
in, in a lot of ways because they might set up differently at home than they do away. So we'd often look at another home game to analyze that information. As a sample of that many games, like, is that big enough? If you were to go back into a club and say, like, you know, we're going to set up our opposition analysis process, is like, I mean, is it that sort of three game, looking at three games, is that enough? And equally, do you need to cater for like quality of opposition as well? Because that's something that myself and some of our conversations with in terms of when you're looking at opposition analysis, should you be focusing on A, a small sample, and B, teams that might be varying or you know, different quality? Yeah, I mean, certainly quality comes into it to an extent. You know, if you're in certainly some of the clubs that I work for, particularly in the last few years where we were promoting clubs coming into the Premier League. You know, pretty much everybody in the league is is at the beginning, at least, of a higher quality than, than we are. Um, so uh, there are tiers within leagues. Obviously, you know, it's, there's the generally the top six, and then there's a the middle tier, and then there's the bottom tier that fight for, for uh, against relegation. So, so yeah, there is that. In terms of the sample size, that's from my perspective, that's always where data is important. So. Video um, and scouting, you only have a certain number of bodies that can cover these games. You know, if you think that uh, a lot of clubs, certain the ones I work for, we only really had three or four members of the scouting team who, could, who would be writing opposition reports on a weekly basis because the rest of the scouting staff were focused on players. So you've got to split up your scouting departments into guys that can do match reports on the opposition and then the rest of the guys who and need to focus on players because it's a very different skill set, it's a very different report that you have to write. You're looking at a tactical element compared to the player skill sets and tactics within that. So it's very different. Um, so the, there's that part of it. You imagine a, you know, an analyst week, it often took us at least two or three days to put together the video on the opposition plus the data plus the scouting reports package all that together, present it in the way that we wanted to. So you think you're playing two games a week, that's six days of preparation. A lot of clubs in the championship are playing three games a week. You know, you have to cram all of that into a certain amount of time. There's only so much video you can watch. There's only so much you know, so many games back you can watch. But that's where data for me was always the crucial part of we can watch three or four games, we can scout three or four games we can scout a team over as long a period as we want with data. So that was that was really how kind of data was a major part of our scouting processes because it gives you that long longevity approach. You know, really looking a lot further in, uh, in the past. Things like manager changes as well. You know, we can watch certain numbers of games. If a manager comes in halfway through the season and comes in and wants to change the philosophy of the team that you're playing. You might have watched their last three games under the previous manager and you're going to face them with the new manager. He could have completely changed the tactics during the week and you're going to go and play. So you can't prepare the, your team to play against the old manager's philosophy. You have to prepare them for the new one. So you have to look back at what they might have done at previous clubs and that kind of thing. So. From a to some from a data perspective, what sort of stuff would you deem important when doing opposition analysis? Whether this is like from a very basic stats perspective or like more advanced analytics, up to you. I think just in terms of basic stats, it's important, as Ben was saying, to look over a big sample. So if you look at two or three games, you might see the guys who are playing really well, 
playing really well in those couple games, but it might not be the focus of a team's attack or whatever if you look further back. So when you're looking at things like passing maps and uh, which players are the most important in build-up play, which are the most important in counterattacks, I think if you have a bigger sample size, you can sort of pick out who the important players are and who teams should focus on in different aspects of their play, whether it's defending or attacking. And I think that's sort of, it's all about the sample size and being able, you can only watch so many games, especially in the championship where you're saying you have, I don't know, three days to prepare. If you have the data, you can look further back and say, okay, this is the guy who's been most important in the buildup of the attack over the past 10 or 12 games of the season. Yeah, and that, and that definitely fits with the way that certainly the, the analysis departments and scouting departments I've been involved with would work. Um, I think you know you could watch um, you could watch the last three games where a key player involved in that build up didn't play, but he's coming back from injury and he's going to play in this in the game you're playing against. So understanding how he fits into that strategy might have to come from uh, from data analytics instead of the visuals, you know. But again, just as a caveat to that, you know, the the understanding of a manager of the league that they play in, and understanding of the general staff around them of knowing from being in the championship the last couple of years, the years that I was in the Premier League, you know every team, how they play, pretty much every player in the league, what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's your job to know that as a manager, as a coach. And you know, that's why a lot of the time opposition analysis is really important and has certainly been a crucial part of the stuff that I've done in the past. But it's always balanced against what the manager already knows about the team he's going to face and the manager he's going to face and the style of players that he's going to face and, and the players themselves you know players watch football themselves and, and they'll have played you know, i was fortunate to to play with to work with someone like danny murphy at fulham coming towards the end of his career the amount of information he was able to pass on to the likes of musa dembele and people like that who were coming up you know at that point developing the amount of information you could pass on to a player who'd come from the Dutch league into the Premier League. Danny Murphy had played in England for how many years? Maybe 15 years, something like that. Had played against everybody and had played against pretty much every manager. And he was able to pass on the information as well. And what was good, you know, what was good with Danny is that he was very involved in the analysis process as well. So he was very encouraging of using video, using data to support players' performance as well. So you know, I think there is something that we've obviously discussed quite a lot is the fact that there's so many aspects to preparation for games for scouting for everything else and data is a very now a very important part of that and you know we're obviously very pleased about that but there is also scouting knowledge managers knowledge players knowledge all of that information has to be collated together before you know before you can really be successful so. And how much does that change when you have a new manager come in who won't know necessarily the league as well, is coming from a different league? Do they lean on analysis more in that situation to sort of figure out more about the league and more about the managers and players they might not know as much about as you would as an analyst? Yeah, so I think um, particularly when managers come in and bring their own coaching staffs, so it's a whole new coaches group, it's a whole new, you know, whole new thing for them. So I, I was at Fulham... Um, during actually that summer where we were playing in Europa League qualifiers and Martin Yole came in to replace Mark Hughes. Now obviously Martin Yole had been at Tottenham previously, had some knowledge of the league but had been away for a few years and if you're away from, for a few years everything changes. You know, We know how frequently things change in the Premier League and, and 
it's constantly moving, constantly developing. So we were essentially the only things left from the previous coaching staff who had knowledge of the current league. So that's why I didn't get any holiday that summer um, because Mark, Mark left and then Mark and Yol came in within a week. And we had a very short space of time and we had to prepare the manager and the coaching staff for who is, what his squad looked like, you know, what did we believe from an analytics perspective but also from a scouting perspective of our own squad. Um, you know, it's something, a process that happens at a lot of clubs, uh, certainly the ones I've been at, is that we scout our own squad. So the scouts will watch our own games and watch our own players to provide a scouting report on what we already have. You, know, you can't replace something unless you know what you already got. Um, but from a new manager perspective, yeah, it's really important. And analysts, I think increasingly, are becoming the first port of call for the coaches, particularly when new ones come in. You know, can you give me information on what we already have, what we did last season, what, was, what different shapes did we play, what roles did players have, benchmarks have we got within this squad, um, you know, what's, uh, what are the high levels of performance, where are our baselines, um, both from a, you know, a technical perspective and a physical perspective. On that last point, when you come to like pre-season, what is the main focus? Is it the fitness side of things, getting players from you know, summer fitness to proper full, full you know, new season fitness, or is it the, the tactical side of things? Is it the like learning and understanding their roles in either a new manager's system or tweaking the if a current managers tweak the philosophy, do they have to you know re relearn that? Is there like a fifty fifty split, or is it very much co- like context specific? Yeah, I think it's massively context specific. I think if, if a group of players have been under a manager for a certain period of time, then you know the the preseason schedules are generally pretty much the same summer to summer, and players know what to expect. See, the sports science departments play a huge part in preparing the players. Um, you obviously have other things like we've had this summer where some players will come into the squad into preseason later because they've played in international tournaments. So you kind of got this staggered preseason where some players are at different points all the way through the summer. From an analysis perspective, though, it's very much about philosophy and tactics. It's a it's an opportunity to, along with the coaching staff, provide either a, um, a refresher on the philosophy and you know I did as part of analysis teams did multiple videos and um, presentations on that manager's philosophy examples of when we've done things that the manager likes certain uh, tactical things Um, so that's you know often an opportunity to present that and that can also then be in the reverse in in when a new manager comes in you spend that pre-season needing to uh, help get the message across to the, the group, of, uh, to your squad as to how the manager wants to play and analysts are a vital part of that because you can provide visual evidence of what they're trying to um, you know, what they're trying to get across um, so as a communication um, vessel the analysts are massively important to that so I think it, it depends on the situation of the club at the time I think you know I kind of made the joke, sort of half jokingly, say that the majority of managers that come into new football clubs um, 
say that their team, the team is the squad isn't fit enough. It's basically the first thing a new manager says about every club he goes into. We've seen it with Pep this summer about the whole you know, fast food thing and you know, players not being allowed to train unless they're a certain weight and that kind of thing. And you know, I've seen that every summer uh, at the clubs I've been at. So, you know, yes, the physical part of it is is really the is probably the most talked about part of preseason, and it is the most crucial part of preseason. But from a tactical perspective. It's you know, even it's the really the only opportunity you get over a period of time where the game's results don't matter. You're not preparing stuff on the opposition for those preseason games, so you've got time to actually not only prep for the season, but also prep um, some stuff on philosophy and that kind of thing. So, and I think that's where like the data analytics stuff that you guys are doing. I think that's where you know, we want to talk about how can we look at things like describing philosophy, describing styles of play, because from an analysis perspective, if we can show data, not only for opposition, but actually for our own squad to describe when a new manager comes in and brings a system from a club that he's had previously and is a very well-known system like Pep going into City, you know, how can we show this in different ways to the players? Video is one way, but is there a more detailed analytical way of showing it that Again, we then present it in a way that's understood well by the, the coaching staff. So. This is also probably another place where you can use data is when you have a new manager coming in, it's finding players that fit that manager's system in the recruitment process, not just your own team system, because as you said, when a new manager comes in, there's lots of turnover, yep. the system's going to be completely different, and you need a new sort of approach to fit that manager. Yep. Uh, we'll have a short break, and then we'll discuss uh, the recruitment side of preseason. Welcome back to the Three at the Back podcast. Um, we're going to talk about recruitment now. So, uh, Ben, if you want to sort of tell us a bit more about what the, the whole process is around uh, summer, summer recruitment. I mean, so summer recruitment, obviously, you've got a longer period of time to, um, to negotiate deals, potentially look at players in pre-season uh, than you do in the January window, which is a month. And you've, you know, you've got no time at all. So... In terms of a recruitment process, recruitment processes, uh, you know, particularly if you're fortunate to be at a club for a, a period of time, um, you have put these things in place over a couple of years, a couple of seasons. So you've built up a bank of knowledge of players and you've also built up a bank of relationships, whether that's with clubs, with agents. Um, so there are, throughout every season, off season, there are constant conversations going on. Um, you're obviously watching a lot of players. The clubs I was at, we used to average about 100 player reports a month. Um, and then, so you add that in with the data processes that, that I was also involved in. Um, and you're covering a lot of players, plus video uh, of players as well that you, you're watching on a, on a daily basis. So you know, there's a huge, uh, constant stream of information that's going through clubs uh, on their scouting network from the UK out into Europe and further afield. So those processes are constantly ongoing, you're always having conversations, but the ability for you to start looking at signing players in the summer window is often massively dependent on what happens at the end of the season. 
where do you finish in the league can affect your budget for next season. You know, if you uh, are a promoted side, you often don't know until the end of May whether you're going to be promoted or not. So you have to prepare for the Championship or the Premier League. Um, certainly, I've been in that situation where you have to prepare for both scenarios, and there's obviously massively different set of players that you're looking at there uh, and certainly a different budget that you're looking at um, but even for established clubs you know when I was at Fulham the budget would have changed because we were qualified for Europe as opposed to finishing mid-table in the Premier League so, so there's huge huge differences um, one of the things that always amuses me about the, the transfer window particularly in the summer is that if you notice from around March time, you'll you start seeing the Bundesliga clubs finalising deals, and for some reason, the German whether it's just German efficiency, but the Bundesliga clubs manage to get a high proportion of their recruitment done before the end of that season for the following summer. Whereas pretty much everywhere else in the world, including the UK, you won't see deals start to be done until pretty much after players have come back from holiday, you know, 1st of July. We're obviously recording this today after a pretty epic day of transfer discussion yesterday around John Stones and um, potentially Balassi and people like that. You know, that, that was a pretty epic day of, of transfer uh, negotiations and um, certainly things like medicals and stuff, but we're only a few days away from the start of the season. So you know, these things can take a long time it can be built over a very long period of time, but it could also be, I've been involved in, in a couple of signings where you get a phone call on the Monday and the deal's done by Wednesday and the player's in the building having, having a medical because that happens more in January than it does in the summer. Um, but you know, things can happen that quickly uh, because you, you, you find out a player's available and, and you have to go and jump on it. Mm. Is there a relationship between, <clears throat> say, player price and how late or how long you take to do the deal? So, say in Germany, could it be that they get the the, the business out of the way early because it's actually cheaper to get a player who you don't sort of have to see the next sort of say the last ten games of the Bundesliga, which may influence their price further? Or is it just you know, like you say, they're just efficient; they just get the business out of the way earlier? Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, the price impact, players are certainly. Um, players go through peaks and troughs of, of value. You know that can be large differences, or it can be just small differences in their in value depending on the current form. Um, I'd say that the highest value is at the, is at the start of preseason. Um, so, and actually, as you get more towards the end of the window, you have this kind of strange thing of sometimes player value increases because clubs know you're desperate but also it can drop off very quickly because the clubs need to get that player out before the end of the window to either either because they've signed a player and they need to get that player off the wage bill or whatever else so there can be massive changes in, in fluctuation of price the German thing is a bit of an anomaly to me I think really it's, it's one of those strange ones where they seem to be the only league that are able to get these deals done I mean obviously the the classic one most recently was Lewandowski going to, to Bayern, and that we knew about that, you know, halfway through the season. So that's a, a strange one. I don't think it's something that English clubs particularly would want to probably get involved with. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's a it's a strange one. But in terms of like data processes, I think certainly something I was heavily involved with um, was the clubs, um, particularly the last couple of clubs I worked at. It was about using data for European scouting you know, for the club. Obviously, the clubs I worked at, Reading and Burnley, particularly, um, were promoted clubs trying to compete with clubs with much bigger uh, budgets. That's obvious. Much big, bigger resources in terms of scouts. And so we we use data to try and balance that out and try and uh, enable us to compete at that level by using data to to identify players from outside of the UK where we didn't have a lot of scouts. Um, whereas other clubs would be using you know, manpower uh, to cover those regions. We needed to use data because we could do that from the training ground and identify players that fit the philosophy that we were looking for. But one of the biggest challenges we had with that, and certainly the question that I've asked the most on a, on a daily basis by directors of football managers, was if we are looking to sign a player from this competition, say it's the Eredivisie or Spain, how do we know how his data profile um, will change when he comes to the to the Premier League or to the Championship? And you know, I think relative strength of league and adaption of players from one league to another is one of our biggest challenges from a data perspective. Sam, you've done some stuff on that, haven't you? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the times uh, this question is approached just in terms of league strength, as you were saying. And I think it's not necessarily a one-to-one transition because... Some league strengths have different adaptability, so just because La Liga is, let's say, on par with the Premier League, it doesn't mean that all La Liga players or all skills will transfer equally. Some will transfer better than others. So I looked at this and looked at players in the last 10 years who have gone from La Liga to the Premier League. And there are a few interesting things, like um, the number of goals that players score tend to go, tends to go down while their shots go up which is probably a stylistic thing with the Premier League where managers are encouraging these players to shoot a little more and things like that are really interesting. And then creative players transferred quite well. I mean, when you look at guys like Mesut Ozil, even Di Maria, who some, well, he was so long after one year, but these guys transferred really their skills really well from the Liga to the Premier League. And it's interesting this year, there's been three guys so far who have moved, or well, three midfielders and forwards who have moved, and they've all been center forwards. They've got Negredo is coming back. Nolito is coming to Man City and success has gone, well, I guess as a wide forward, well, he'll be starting at Watford this year. And I think it's interesting looking at how, how these three players will adjust to playing a new league and if they'll be able to keep up their goal scoring because that's been one thing where players have transferred from the Liga to the Premier League, on the most part, with a few exceptions, have seen their goal scoring numbers drop. So I think in the future, when you're looking at recruitment across leagues, it's important to look beyond just the league strength and actually look at which skills are transferable from X league to Y league. Yeah, and that's definitely something that's interesting because I think we certainly do that from a scout perspective. You know, um, The majority of uh, scouts who, who scout in Europe or, or are based abroad and, and scout certain competitions, clubs rely very heavily on their ability to assess the relative strength of a league. Um, you know, there's certain kind of uh, things that have become part of scout, almost part of scouting law, I guess, in some ways, that things like Dutch centre-halves don't particularly adapt well to playing in England. We obviously had the blog quite recently about the way Dutch um, defenders and 
possession happens with uh, defenders having a high number of touches and a high number of ball, ball contacts and, and passes uh, relative to other leagues. Now, that's the, the skill set that Dutch centre-halves have is that they're very comfortable on the ball, comfortable in possession. But if they come to the Premier League, they're going to have to head it a lot. They're going to have to um, be very physical. You know, if you're playing against Lukaku, Diego Costa every week, who have got both strength, physicality and speed, um, good movement, you're going to have to cope with that a lot of the time as well. Um, you know, interesting conversation obviously going on at the moment around John Stones, his high ability on the ball, his high quality on the ball. We've obviously looked from a data, you know, data perspective um, over the last couple of days, and that's very much evident that he's, he's obviously a very good technical player, um, and he's now, as he's growing into his career, he's now learning the, the physical side of defending as well. But he's actually a, a rarity, I guess, still in the Premier League as someone who can play out from the back and, and is very comfortable in possession. Whereas a Dutch centre-half, that's what they learn first. And then they, when they adapt and move to England, they have to learn the other side of the game. Um, so that currently is, is a skill that scouts need to have. They need to have, be able to analyse that and understand a large network of uh, scouts across uh, a full region of different competitions and different playing styles. But I think one of the biggest advantages that analytics can give us moving forward is that ability to assess it without joined up with that kind of uh, scouting knowledge. So yeah, I'm really kind of interested to see how much we can push that forward in terms of analytics and in assessing different styles within leagues. I certainly thought that the Dutch blog was a really good start to that. I guess that's an example too of bringing together sort of a manager's, what a Pep obviously likes to have center backs who can play the ball at their feet, who can move the ball out from the back. And it's bringing that Premier League experience together with the manager's experience and melding those two yeah. things to find a player who fits both the league, the team, and the manager's philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I find it quite interesting that um, that Pep has decided to that he wants obviously to play that same system, but he's bought a centre half from England who has the qualities to play out from the back that he's had with a Jerome Boateng at Bayern Munich or playing Mascherano and those guys at centre-half for Barca he's gone he's come to England and bought a player that has those abilities but has been playing in England all his life so in a short relative short career but has still got that experience so you know 47 half million or whatever was paid uh, is a lot of money but you know potentially could be a very smart move so be interesting to see how that develops um, <clears throat> we'll have another short break and then we'll be back to wrap up and discuss uh, an Everton team preview. Welcome back to the Three at the Back podcast. Uh, I'm going to hand back to Ben again to talk about uh, an Everton season preview. So as you, we, were, we were talking in preparation for this podcast about um, you know, wanting to use an example of an interesting summer transfer but also how um, not only the uh, identification of that player but also how it you know, fits into a team and I think Everton are really interesting for a number of reasons at the moment uh, they've become even more interesting over the last 24 hours with, with what they've done in the transfer window 
But one of the signings that they made uh, a week or so ago, uh, Idrissa Gay from, from Villa, I found really interesting because I think a player that played in a struggling team at Villa last season, um, but actually from a data perspective, we all recognised that he was probably one of the better performers for Villa. Um, but also Everton obviously going through a big transition this summer with, um, with Ronald Koeman coming in and his philosophies that he's employed in the past, um, not only uh, abroad but then now at Southampton as well. Uh, and I think there was quite, particularly last year, there was quite a clear philosophy, clear strategy that he put in place. And now he's recruiting to change Everton's philosophy and, and style of play. And I think the signing of Gay was, was actually probably the biggest indication that that could change. So we were talking about, from a data perspective, what that could look like. Um, and I think the, the first interesting thing is, you know, what is going to be the difference between Everton this season under Ron Koeman compared to what Koeman did at Southampton and certainly what Martin has uh, done last year? So. Yeah, well, I look particularly at Idrissa Gay and compared him actually to Victor Wanyama last year at Southampton and Schneiderlin two years ago at Southampton, both of whom were a big part of Koeman's system. And especially Schneiderlin looked very similar to Gay's, season, to Gay's last season at Villa, looked similar to Schneiderlin two seasons ago when he was at Southampton under Koeman. They have a lot of interceptions, a lot of tackles. Schneiderlin a little more, gets into the tackle a little more often than Idrissa Gay did, but Gay breaks up the attacks a lot. He had almost four interceptions adjusted for possession, so that's adjusted for assuming Villa had 50% possession every game, which they didn't. Um, so he's a player who gets involved, and not just because Villa were always defending. And going forward, he averaged about 0.8 key passes. Those are passes that lead to a shot uh, per 90 minutes, which is quite good for a sitting midfielder. And that was another big part of Schneiderlin's game in his last year at, at Southampton, was being part of the build-up and creating chances. So I found that really interesting, looking at these two players that match up pretty well and will now be playing under the same manager. So clearly, coming into Everton, Koeman was looking for someone to fill that role that Schneiderlin filled for him so well. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, having looked at Everton's preseason, they've played a number of different formations and shapes, and it looks like you know, they in a, in a game uh, relatively recently in the preseason they played um, with three centre backs, um, but then other times they've played for a, a variation of four four two, and then also the more kind of classically Dutch four three three system. So I think it's going to be interesting to see which of those roles uh, Idrissa Gay takes. And it's interesting that it's more the kind of Schneiderlin type role that he might employ in the system rather than um, you know, uh, the more kind of Wanyama type uh, where it's more just breaking up play and doing those kind of things. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in. We were having a discussion before we started the podcast actually about the shape and the sort of... Um, the roles and responsibilities of the three midfield players. You know, we're looking at Everton's squad and thinking that Ross Barkley is going to be involved. You're going to have James McCarthy and, and Gareth Barry potentially, and who fills those roles? And we were saying, you know, in Southampton's team last year, I think when they recruited Jordi Classy, the idea was for him to be that kind of quarterback style midfield player, and we were looking at uh, that with Wanyama. And then obviously McCarthy and um, playing in that team now, is he going to be the Jordi Classy? What did the data show for that? 
Well, Jordan Classy, I think, probably breaks up play a little more than McCarthy does, or did at Southampton, I guess, Jordan Classy did. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he adjusts to the new role, because last year he had about uh, four, four, he won back possession about four times per 90 minutes, um, James McCarthy, whereas Jordy Classy won it about five or six times per 90 minutes. So it's much more, uh, Jordy Classy was much more involved in breaking up the play and winning, winning back possession. But again, James McCarthy will probably be playing in a different position and have a different role under Koeman Everton than he did last year under Martinez. Yeah, it's, again, it's, it's those kind of things from a recruitment perspective that are really interesting in terms of you know, identifying players that are going to fit into your system, and particularly with a new manager. Um, you know, we know Everton are very good with their analytics and very good with their data analysis. And, and I'm sure that was a very big part of what they were doing uh, when they were looking for a new manager, but also then for recruiting for the team. So uh, it's, it'll be fascinating to see. I think it's one of those under-the-radar under signings that will have happened this summer alongside the Pogba's and the John Stones. that would be really interesting to see how that affects Southampton's system moving forward. You did some analysis on the, the differences between Southampton and Everton as well. Yeah, so... Um Johannes actually on the blog, which we can link to this blog, looked last year at attacking styles and found that Southampton and Spurs were two of the most similar styles last season, which is interesting because obviously Pochettino managed both of them and the Southampton approach didn't change that much when they moved to Koeman and it was more Pochettino bringing the Southampton style to Spurs, obviously with the great effect last season. And whereas Everton and Southampton looked very, very different last season in this sort of attacking styles um, approach that Johannes looked at. And it'll be interesting to see whether Koeman changes, can do the same thing that Pochettino did at Spurs and change Everton to sort of the Southampton approach, which as you said is sort of this classically Dutch system, or whether he'll adjust to Everton. And I think I think we all sort of expect Koeman to stamp his mark there and change a Martinez system that wasn't working towards the end of last season, tighten up a little bit at the back and see how they go. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's... Certainly, I'll be looking um, very closely um, at that midfield group. Now, how do they fit in? How does Idris Gay fit in? How does McCarthy's role potentially change uh, within the team? And it's interesting that you know currently McCarthy's almost from a data perspective looks like he sits between the types of players that, that Southampton had. He's sort of uh, between a Jordi Classy and a Victor Wanyama and, and those types of players who played in that midfield at Southampton and, and obviously Schneiderlin as well. But it'd be interesting to see whether he has to change his role um, uh, to, to fit in with this new system uh, alongside uh, Driss again and potentially Ross Barkley as well. How do you find players adjust to that sort of new, uh, coming into a new manager, being asked to play in a role they might not have been asked to play under the previous manager? Is that something that players sort of figure out in preseason, or is that something that'll take the year to figure out? How long do you anticipate to take for James McCarthy to sort of adjust? I think, I mean, in terms of McCarthy, I think um, anybody that watched him play for Wigan knows he's got really good ability on the ball. Um, he was very much the, the guy who provided the energy for Wigan in midfield and was able to get on the ball deep and, and play from there. So I think he's certainly got the capability to adjust into a new role and into a new system. Players now, with, particularly with the turnover in managers that much every player goes through in their career on a regular basis. They, I think they've probably become more adaptable than they were maybe 10 years ago, where they play under the same system, under the same manager, transfers weren't as frequent, manager turnover wasn't as frequent. 
Whereas now, you know, pretty much every season almost, they're going through a change in style, whether it's because they've moved club or whether the manager's come in and moved. And, you know, it's a big part of a professional footballer's career now, is how can they adapt? And I think, again, just sort of coming full circle, really, that's where the analysis team plays a huge part in um, helping players prepare, whether that's a new player coming in, being asked to fulfil a certain role in the team, the analysis team will provide video and data and um, you know, graphical uh, sort of uh, representations tactically of what is expected for that player in the role. But also for current players, when a, a new manager comes in, feeding back that information, and those players need to take it on. I've worked with a range of different learning styles of players. Some of them need to see it on the pitch, and they just need to feel it, and they need to understand it. Um, some of them just want to talk it through tactically um, and some of them want that kind of video uh, feedback, that data feedback, um, tactical representation to to really understand what they're, they're being asked to do. Having watched James McCarthy at Wigan and, uh, and Everton now for a few years, I certainly believe he's got the ability to adapt and I think we'll see that. I think the numbers are really interesting because I think he's it shows that he's kind of sitting in between the types of roles that um, that maybe the Southampton players fulfilled. And obviously by signing somebody like Idrissa Gay, you've got another type of player to fit into that midfield. So, yeah, it's a, just that I found it a really interesting case study and I think the numbers are backed up that it's probably something we should follow in the next, uh, certainly the first few weeks of the season. It'll be uh, an exciting game this weekend as well with... Uh Koeman facing off against uh, another former Southampton manager, uh, Mauricio Pochettino, uh, against Tottenham this weekend. That's all we have time for this episode. Big thanks to Ben and Sam. Um, we'll be back in about a month's time with another episode of the Three at the Back podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.